Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Some of you might be old enough to remember the famous boxer Muhammad Ali. What did he say? I am the greatest. Well, you all know, huh? That's very good. I am the greatest. Of course he is, And in the end he realized who is the greatest. Well, let's not make it an absolute question. Let's make it a relative one. Think of a couple of people that ask who is greater. Some of you have heard of the first one before. Well, in fact, all of you heard of the first one before coming up on the screen uh, because Kenneth mentioned him just now. Anyone know who this guy is? Come on, Kenneth, come here. Don Carson, okay? Actually, Professor Donald Arthur Carson. Right? Um, you ask my opinion, I think he's probably one of the best theologians alive today. His PhD in theology from the University of Cambridge. Many years a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's a Baptist, but never mind that. He's, he's written more than 57 books, uh, including some major commentaries, with a brain the size of a football field, and he uses it to the glory of God. He's faithful to the scriptures. He's got the mental ability and extensive knowledge to effectively cross swords with any theologians who nice them. He's a very popular speaker, speaks at major conferences around the world, one of the founders of the Gospel Coalition, key people, one of the key people calling evangelicals in the States and around the world to, to keep the Gospel central. He's teaching and writing. He's also very celebrated. Uh, he's going to come last couple of years, every three years, he's made a huge trip all the way from Chicago. He's about to a trip to speak at the Clang Valley Bible Conference, which, quite frankly, on the world stage is not really interesting to speak and in fact, the first time he came, he, he traveled like, all over the way to come here. It took much, much longer than he needed to because he wanted to save us money on the plane. Who is he? Here's someone else I want you to meet. Some of you might know her. In fact, all of you know her. She is. Wong Yok Ling. Okay. Yotling works on staff here uh, at St. Mary's. Uh, she's a graduate uh, diploma in theology from, from Ridley College in Melbourne. She's worked for the Fellowship of Evangelical Students for a number of years before went to our staff. She knows the scriptures well, and she actually teaches them really faithfully and clearly. Uh, she follows up a number of our women here at SMAC and does it from a heart of love, shares the gospel with people who don't know about Jesus, helps people grow in their discipleship. Among many other things, she looks after the welcoming process of SMAC 1, Women in SMEC in our UCF group, those on staff know that she's a very servant and professor, volunteering for things that she may not necessarily enjoy doing in order to serve us as God's people. Let me ask you, who is greater? On Carson or one of them? What do you think? What what do you think people would join? But most importantly, what would God do? In our passage today, Jesus talks about greatness. And he talks about greatness in a way that was surprising to his disciples and still surprising for us today. I remember at this point, Jesus is way up north, right? even further north than Galilee, which we think of as north. And now he comes down and is parting through Galilee. Not going around all the towns teaching and preaching and healing like before. This time he wants to remain incognito. 
He doesn't want people to know that he's there. Because, verse 31, he was teaching his disciples. Okay. Just a little side point for our readers here. I'm going to give you all kinds of suggestions about the things you can do later on this sermon. But, remember, you cannot serve everyone all the time. Don't do that. If we're serious about ministry, there will always be ministry opportunities that we can't take. Don't feel guilty that you can't take every ministry opportunity. Jesus wasn't lazy. He didn't take every ministry opportunity. And even he could do that in the flesh. He had to prioritize. And now his priority was to teach his disciples. He was serving them. They need some private time with them because he's trying to explain to them something. He must be trying to explain to them over and over again, and Mark summarizes what he's explaining to them in verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. When he is killed after three days, he will rise. Then it says that they didn't understand what he said. And he was there he is, explaining this over and over again. But they don't get it. But they don't ask is the bit shy. But they want to see me But at least they understood enough so that after his death and resurrection they could look back, oh okay, that's what he was saying. Okay, okay. So there they are, Jesus has been teaching them privately, not really get it. Walking through Galilee, they come to a town called the Pope. And there's a particular house there that they always go to. It's probably Simon Peter's house. So they get to that house after a long journey and they go into that house and they're all together and Jesus asks them a question. He says to them, What were you discussing on the way? Verse 23. What were you discussing on the way? Now obviously Jesus was talking to them the whole time. They've been getting in the clusters and discussing things and quite heatedly. And now Jesus asked them what they've been talking about. Remember when you were in school, sometimes you have these conversations, things you shouldn't be talking about. The teacher says, oh, excuse me, would you like to share that with the whole class, please? Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it? Or, you'll have one of those conversations that when you're talking to the other person, like it's really meaningful and you're thinking about really carefully and, and really, and then the objective third party comes along and asks you what you're saying, and when you try to explain it sounds really lame. And they're like, well, that's fine. Spit in my When Jesus asks his disciples what they're talking about, what are you talking about? They want to answer. Why? Because verse 14, not verse 14, verse 34, they had argued with each other about who was the greatest. They were arguing with each other about who was the greatest. These disciples are not like the average people of the street. These are people who had left everything to follow Jesus. They left everything to follow Jesus. What do they talk about with each other? Who's the greatest? Just easy. In spite of all that, they are just normal, sinful people. Like us really, isn't it? 
Because when you think about it, wanting to be the greatest, at least wanting to be great, that's one of the biggest human problems, isn't it? It's part of the problem of sin. Remember back in the garden, what did the serpent say to Eve when, when he tempted her? Oh, among the lies that he told to make the fruit attractive, she said, he said that she would be like Mixed in there somewhere is surely a temptation to her own purpose. Remember when you get to the Tower of Babel, height of human rebellion, remember what they say to each other? They say, come, let's build a house, the city, the tower, top in heaven, let us make a name for ourselves. Among all the other reasons for building the tower, one of them was to make a name for themselves. It sounds great. God brought them to judgment. And of course, when in the next chapter, in chapter 12, when God speaks to Abraham, he promises him land and people and blessing. And part of the blessing, in chapter 12, verse 2, God says that I will make your mind. God is the Lord. And when God does it, that's a good thing. But it's not right for people to try and make their own mind. He's got to build for his purpose. And yet we do all the time. Those of us who are leaders in any field face the constant temptation of wanting our leadership to be good, not for the sake of the people we serve, but for the sake of our own reputation. Now the problem is we need to have a good reputation in order to effectively serve the people that we serve. So there's a legitimate guarding of our reputation. It's so easy to go from there to wanting a reputation for ourselves. Those of us who are students want to get good marks, right? Now, on the one hand, there's a legitimate concern to do well in our exams, to be satisfied that we've understood the material, or, or to get to the next place in the run of our education pathway. It's so easy to descend again to a desire for academic greatness, whereby we assure ourselves that we are better than our rivals. Those of us who are in business, of course, we want to do ethical, profitable business. But often, what we really want is to be our competitors. Nothing wrong with sports. Healthy competition is possible. Doing that to achieve greatness, it's just going to fizzle away, isn't it? Look at Muhammad Ali now. And this even comes into the church scene. Read the other day, I wanted to become a minister, and when someone asked him why, he said something like this. When my minister went away, he asked me to fill in for him, and I did. I walked into church, and everyone stood up. I, that's how it works in traditional services, because it's a procession. When the pastor comes in, I never once stands up and says it. He said, I felt really good. No one ever stood up for me before when I walked into your room. So I wanted to become a minister. It's not just that. Oftentimes, in processions, in processions, it's the most um, junior person who goes first, the most senior person who goes at the back. That is trying to reflect something of Jesus' teaching in First, I'll be last. Of course, in our sinfulness, what happens? People twist this, so now they find to go to the back rather than to the front. Of course, not in the world. It's not just in processions, it's all over the church. Pastors compare with each other, compare the size of their church, or conference, or whatever measurement they prefer. Small group leaders look at other groups to say which group is growing the fastest. Church leaders collect titles and expect people to think they're really important because of them. Musicians look for songs to show off their voice rather than leave people with Jesus. 
Some people in churches look for positions on committees and say, ah, oh, so in order to say, this is an important person in church. Others want position on boards and say, oh, this is an important person in my evangelical city. We think of greatness in terms of influence, in terms of size, in terms of gifting, in terms of achievements, in terms of position. Often come out more like the rulers of Abel, servants of the gospel. And when you're trying to make your name great, I'm trying to make my name great. And she will be Like the disciples to the world. So what does Jesus say to us? Well, look what he said to them. Jesus knew what they'd been talking about. It's what he asked them in the first place. He sat down. That's what he just did. That's what he said. He just sits down and lost on that. Well, he sat down and called them together. Stood around him. He says this. Verse 34. If anyone would be last, so if anyone would be first, you must be last of all and servant. Anyone would be first, you must be last of all and servant. The world says if you want to be great, rule. Jesus says if you want to be great, serve. You want to be first of all, and last of all. Want to be great, then be the same. What does it mean to be last of all? What does it mean to be the servant of all? What does true greatness really look like? We've got an example. Well, let me tell you what the example is. Verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be delivered and and when he is killed, after three days, he believes. That is what greatness looks like. The Son of Man will be betrayed, killed, and Son of Man is a title figure from Old Testament, Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, the Son of Man is the one who is given the kingdom. He's the one who will rule the world forever. Everyone will worship him and serve him. Can't get much greater than that, yeah? And yet, Jesus said that the Son of God will be delivered into the hands of evil men, will be betrayed, will be killed. You and I know why. Because he was serving us. He allowed himself to be betrayed. He allowed himself to be crucified. Because on the cross he would bear our sin. He will bear the punishment on our behalf. He will face the wrath we deserve for our rebellion against God, for our pride, for our desire to be great. He will die the death that we deserve so that we can be forgiven and have the life that we don't deserve. He will serve us. And in doing so, he will show us what's out of love. That's what God calls greatness. Son of man is going to be delivered and is a evil. They will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. God shows the greatness of his son by raising him from the dead. 
At the resurrection, God says, you see that cross? That is greatness. I give my seal of approval by raising my son from the dead. Who is the greatest? His son. What does greatness look like? Humble, self-sacrificial service. It's like the cross. It's like Jesus. If you want to be great, Jesus says, be the greatest. Go down to the very bottom of the heap. Jesus said, I'm the greatest. And he was, wasn't he? Left with absolutely nothing. Naked. Strung up on a cross to die. Abandoned by God. You can't get any lower than that. You can't get any last than that. The great Jesus says, You're a sinner. You're a sinner. I give my life for this. I'm going to face hell for this. Can't do more than for someone that can be. I'm going to be great. So, I'm going to be first. Be first. Jesus served in a very unique way. Now, you and I can't be the savior of the world, even if we wanted to be. We can't bear the sins of others. We've got our own civil life. We can't serve the way that Jesus did. We, we can't be the last the way that Jesus wants us with. We can't be as great as Jesus. So we can't be the last like Jesus. We can't serve like Jesus. What can we do? What could the disciples do? Jesus shows them by bringing the child. He must be a little child because of the taking of his lives. And Jesus says, in chapter 9, verse 37, he says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. If you want to be great, go and receive a child in Jesus' name. It's the lesson. There's actually probably a number of lessons that Jesus actually draws from this incident. There's another lesson that he's going to bring to us in the reading next week, and the lesson we call Matthew is slightly different again. But in through the Spirit, the Spirit is speaking through Mark here. He also teaches this. It's going to be great. Go and receive a child in Jesus' name. What does it mean to receive someone in Jesus' name? Well, to do someone in someone's do something in someone's name is to do something as or on behalf of or with the authority of the other person. Right? If I get a letter with Urusan Sri Paduka Baginda or on His Majesty's service on the envelope, I don't actually think the king has written to me a letter. It means the king's servants or his government officials are writing to me on his behalf, probably sending me a bill. If you are arrested in the name of the king, that means the person who is arrested has the authority to do something. When we receive a child of Jesus, we are receiving a child as a, as a son of Jesus. We are acting on behalf of Jesus, in loving the child, in teaching the child, in caring for the child, whatever Jesus would do for the child. Acting on Jesus' behalf, in his name. Jesus says, if anyone receives one such child by name, 
who receives me. So, I'll be a great leader, a great Christian, go to Rubina afterwards, and offer to be an assistant in some Oh, serious? Or go to Marianne and say, can I help with those refugee children that you look after? Or go and offer to help with the crèche, not in the evening, in the morning. Or go and teach your own children, the children of your neighbors, share Jesus with them. But the application for us is wider as well. Because, well, you see, in our society, kids are, are genuinely loved and pampered. But not that. Kids in those days were looked down. They were the least in society. They thought of people as the lowest values that have contributed. Now, there are other people in our society who spend more than looked down on kids. One so the other. There are some wonderful old believers in St. Mark's Cozy Home. Go and visit everyone like your friends are. James G. is my friend. Well, next week when he comes back, come and see and say, hey, can I visit Cozy Home and spend some time with your residents? And serve them with a bit of the love of Jesus. And mission peace with them. And what about the physically and mentally disabled at Cheshire? Remind them what remind them what Jesus did to save them as well. No one's gonna put your name in lights for doing that. That would be a great thing to do. Or people think of foreign workers as lonely. Remember the blue cut we get passed around the Pali church booker, John Sibakoti, how can they bless in the Pali? But I drive the van each week that goes to various customers to pick up the party workers, bring them to the church, church to hear the gospel. If you can't do that, then you'll be a well, all of us can do this. Think of ways that we can serve others in the name of Jesus without any expectation of reward or recognition. That's essentially what this is, isn't it? Because the end. That's what you get when you serve people like this setting for children. If Jesus gave his life to save, what sacrifice can I make to help someone, especially someone who can't reward me for it, hear about Jesus' love and receive the benefits of his death? Friends, the world thinks that greatness is in titles. Doctor, Lord, Reverend Doctor. Titles are illusions. They don't make any The world thinks greatness is in fame. Fame will disappear. In 100 years' time, no one's going to remember anyone in this world. The world thinks greatness is in money. Doctor, people. Gone, it's gone from The world thinks greatness is in the empire you build, whether it's a business empire, a political empire, or even a ministry empire. But all that dies with God. God makes sure. Real greatness is caring for the weak and lowly, bringing the gospel to the sinners who don't deserve a cover of the 
serving those despised by the Romans, obtaining that sacrificial service of Jesus. Jesus sacrificed himself so that he would be saved. We should do the same. And work for the people the world is, even for the people the world is not. Do it in spite of the fact that no one's going to look at you and say, oh, isn't he great? Isn't she amazing? Do it for Jesus. Because if you receive a child in Jesus' name, you receive him. And if you receive him, then you receive God the Father. That is the highest honor indeed. It's going to be great. Go and see Serve because Jesus served you. And don't expect any recognition of it. So let's go back to our questions from the beginning. Well, first question, don't look at this picture yet. First question, who is the greatest? Answer, Jesus is the What does greatness look like? Looks like self-sacrificial love. How do we know? Because God raised it from the dead. Who is greater? Tarsin or Yogling? Friends, actually, I would never forget I did. No idea. The world, of course, will think one way. They look at degrees, they look at influence, they look at fame. God sees greatness differently from the world. Looks for a servant. They're both servants. Only God sees that. We don't know the answer who is greater than these two, but we can be sure that there will be many surprises when we ask. In fact, we've also seen that that question is not bringing a lot of questions. We shouldn't be looking at each other and saying, who is greater? Jesus is the greatest. You know that. After that, no, don't worry about it. Humbly serve as Jesus did. Which I'm sure is what both these guys do. You reward you here. Brothers and sisters, don't think about greatness from the world's point of view. We've got to repent, we've got to change the way we think. Don't worry about whether or not you're given a pleasant Don't care whether or not you're given recognition by the church or by other people. Don't worry whether or not you're on a hierarchy or climbing a hierarchy. Don't be anxious as to whether or not people say you are special or you're special. Open your eyes. See things constantly. These things are ultimately very relevant. God says, true greatness is one of the promises. And it's only God's favor place. Question, who is the greatest? Answer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you receive our spirit in this Christ. He's willing to serve us. The ultimate 
giving himself to us. Thank you that he was willing to be at the cost. Thank you for us. Well, Andrew, in his prayer, so very helpfully, uh, gets to say sorry to God 